Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, Apple's new spatial whatever <laughs> hardware uh-huh. is out. Mm-hmm. The Apple Vision Pro. You can't call it the Vision Pro. You can't call it VR. You can't call it the Apple Vision Pro. It has to be Apple Vision Pro. So we will try our best not to do that as often as possible yeah. on the show yeah. today. Uh, it's out as of recording today, February 2nd. We all bought so, ours. Not a, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody on the staff got one as yep. a gift. Yep. It's uh, the $3,500 gift that keeps on giving. And uh, in, in much less important news, we reviewed the S24 and S24 Plus on the site. Uh, Taylor Swift disappeared from TikTok this week. Uh, if we want to talk about that, we can. I hear TikTok's a thing now. And please no. fi- finally, uh, we can talk about uh, how Tom Cotton just continues to be an asshole in front of his constituents in regards to the hearing for uh, child safety online. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asked the CEO of TikTok whether he was a member of the Communist Party of China, even though the man is from Singapore. Not a lot more to say about that but we will maybe touch on it at the end. And there's some grab bag stuff here, but let's start with the S24 and S24 Plus. Last year, last week rather, we talked about the S24 Ultra. Will, Ara, how are you feeling about things these days? I know, Will, you've been using the S24 Ultra. Ara, you've been using the S24. Yeah. How's it going? Well, I've definitely been overusing my S24 this week in order to get the review out the door. and my mind is a blank because all of my thoughts about the S24 went into the review that I wrote last night. But it's been, yes, it's technically a boring phone, but at the same time, it's all that I need outside of the cameras. And I'm sorry, I'm just not going to make excuses for Samsung's cameras anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, you and Taylor called it a mixed bag, and I'm like, that feels like a little much. It's been half a decade. We have consistently seen issues with shutter speed, motion, and the lighting with the uh, graininess and overbrightening. All of this has been an issue for a while. I think Samsung is actually incapable of actually fixing it. (laughs) So please, Samsung, put up a bug bounty for your own camera software. $100,000 to whoever fixes your blurring issues, because (laughs) I know it's possible. Yeah. But y'all seem unable to do it. Yeah, it's been really weird reading other reviews and watching other reviews and a lot of people not finding... So, so that that's the problem, right? Is that like the reason that I call it a mixed bag and, and Taylor, I forget the exact verbiage he used, but uh, oh, he said early impressions are mixed. Mixed so, results. Yeah. Like the reason that the language is couched in all of that is because you can get good shots from it. Like a lot of reviews like seem to solely focus on specifically if there's no motion in the shot. You can get really good images out of these cameras. You can also, as you said, get blurry images or or. or um, overblown images or noisy image like it, it is just all over the map in a way that makes it difficult to review because you just don't know what you're gonna get it's like playing roulette that's bad i would we say i want to do that with the second most important function of a phone yeah I, I mean it's bad like it's not a good thing that like i it's an unpredictable camera i mean genuinely i as we record this three weeks away from getting on a plane to go to barcelona and like the s24 ultra otherwise a fairly excellent phone will like not be in my bag because i can't trust its camera and like i like to take photos if i am in a place i am not normally in right i've been to barcelona once before i would like to and i I honestly didn't take enough photos last year 
the the rest of the phone around it is so good and it's so frustrating because it's like if you guys just fixed like a couple of these issues that have been lingering for years across your entire portfolio basically like it would be difficult not to recommend this but that's kind of where i'm at it's so interesting too because for the example you said about going to a, a city like barcelona where you're taking probably as many landscape shots yes, correct. as you are shots of your friends in a dank bar, you know, hosted by OnePlus <laughs> on a Tuesday night, right? Yeah. Like there's this, I always find like I come back from these trips and any vacation really with a mix of sunset photos and architecture photos and then like really blurry shots of my drunk friends. <laughs> yeah. And you ideally want a phone that can do all of those things pretty well. Right. And I don't think the S series has been able to do that for a decade. And I would say the iPhone or the Pixel is probably the best candidate for that. Yeah. We talked about this so many times, but in all other ways, the S24 is just a way better travel phone. Like you bring the Pixel, you're going to get way worse battery life because you're roaming. We will get to the Pixel. I have a, yes. we, will, we will talk about my Mint Pixel experience this week because it makes me not want to bring the Pixel to Barcelona either. <laughs> Yeah, I I just, I mean, just to finish the thought then, it's like, this is exactly why I I always feel very hesitant to bring an S series on vacation with me and why, like, I've heard so many people just complain that they buy a Samsung phone thinking that it will be able to do everything really well, and then they end up just having that one or two really big misses that... They're like, oh man, if I had only had X. But let's talk about the Pixel because like, yeah, we're getting into better weather where people mm-hmm. are going to be traveling for March break and um, and, and reading week and stuff. Is re- reading week's a thing down there, right? Am I- no idea what you're talking about. No clue. <laughs> okay, maybe that's a Canadian. We don't universe. read in America, Daniel. Excuse you. <laughs> I'm going to just take a shot in the dark. Is reading week where there's like a week of student, like teacher conferences so students have like studying? Yeah, yeah, it's in university. People get the it's a week off in February for studying for exams, no, midterms. I, I had something similar when I was in elementary and middle school, actually, because my di- my district had um basically um in house learning days for the staff, and that meant that the kids got a five day weekend for one random week in February. Yeah. Anyway, not important at all. But no. I just wanted to say that's it. So and then, but always when I bring a pixel with me, I regret the roaming. The, just the heating up in your pocket and feeling like yeah. your pants are going to explode feeling because the, yeah. the modems are so bad. Uh, so yeah, I want to hear about your Mint Pixel 8 Pro experience. Yeah, so the Pixel 8 Pro in Mint, in its new Mint colorway, got on my desk Monday morning. It, uh, it seems to be out of the box dealing with the... January update bugs that have been plaguing other Pixel 8s or Pixels across the board, I think. I don't think it's specific to Pixel 8. There's like a bunch of storage problems that are causing app crashes. And I've had numerous app crashes. I've had uh, screen glitches. Like the screen will just glitch out constantly or turn black and then come back on. And it's not a particularly good experience. And I'm used oh <laughs> we'll we'll get to the solution in a second but like I am used to pixel bugs right like I've been through this um sometimes you have them and sometimes you don't which does genuinely make it difficult to like recommend a pixel to people but if I had just ordered I'm just a normal user I just ordered a pixel 8 pro the AI ads got me I was watching the NFL playoffs 
Yeah, you know, I was watching Taylor Swift in the stands, and then they cut to <laughs> an AI ad, and I was like, damn, I want that phone. Now it's in Mint. I'm going to buy it. And like, if I took the the phone out of the box and it was doing this, I would probably return it and then just be like, nah, fuck it. Uh, give me an iPhone. Or at the very least, like, not another Pixel, right? And I guess would just go to either, it would be Samsung or Apple, right? If you're dealing at this price range for the most part. <laughs> Google's current fix, uh, while they work on the, I assume, February patch to fix these, like, again, massive issues. I can't, like, send Telegram messages without the app crashing three times, is to crack open ADB commands, like, to unlock developer options, enable debugging, and then, and then like, use ADB commands to uninstall two media apps that are crashing. And I... I'm outraged by this, I think. I cannot imagine Apple telling iPhone users to, not that you could, but telling iPhone users to like push fucking ADB commands or the equivalent of ADB commands to an iPhone to fix it. I, I, we've dealt with, since the switch to Tensor, have dealt with a lot of stuff like this in the Pixel series. But this one like really pissed me off in a way of like, how am I supposed to tell people to go buy a Pixel 8 Pro. And especially when I have two Pixel 8 Pros on my desk, one that works fine on the January update and one out of the box that is broken. Your fix is just learn ADB commands. Good luck. Google's post on it doesn't even like their instructions in support forums don't even include the fact that like if you're on Windows, you have to install USB drivers for the phone. Like it doesn't even mention that. So it is not even just like as simple as don't worry, we've got you. Just copy and paste these commands. Like, you need to have some level of knowledge to do this stuff. And I genuinely think it's outrageous. And I've not really seen enough rage on it. And if I have time, I would like to write about it. But it would basically be this rant I'm doing now, which is that I just like reviewing Pixel phones is so frustrating. And I see people in the comments constantly being like, how can you give this phone an 8.5 or whatever when you know all these Pixel problems exist? And the answer is because. I don't know what your experience is going to be. I can only review the experience I'm having. And so if my blue Pixel 8 Pro I received in October and reviewed in October is fine, that's all I can tell you versus a unit I get four months later that is broken out of the box. I can't go, you know, do I update the review? Do I change the score to a four out of 10? Like there's no easy answers for what to do about this other than be like, Google needs to step up and like, we're on the third generation of Tensor now. Like the fact that these are still bugs that take weeks to fix and short-term solutions like ADB commands are being used is incredibly outrageous. And I don't understand how I'm supposed to tell any iPhone user in my life, oh, you'll have a great time on a Pixel. It's just like the iPhone of Android, except for sometimes you have to break out ADB commands to fix a bug. I agree with you. There have been times where iPhone users have been forced to go to DFU mode to undo whatever software problems have been foisted on them by a bad point update. That hasn't happened for many years, to be fair, but it has happened to iPhone users. I think that is very uncommon. And I think the problem here- It is more common with Google, I think, is the problem here. Exactly. But I also think the fact that there is no rollback feature since Google has implemented seamless updates and has the ability to set aside a partition to roll back an update 
right? Like they do allow you to roll back an update while the update is in progress. That's why they create the separate partition. They download the update, they attempt to install it. If the install fails, it does revert back to the previous version and you have no issues. But once the checksum has passed and the version has been installed, the software assumes that it has passed QA and is trouble-free and therefore deletes the other partition to save space. And I guess that hasn't been a problem, or at least not at this scale until now, where Google should be forced to keep a version of the old, or at least a some sort of... You should at least get a 24-hour grace period. Well, I mean, some sort of delta to allow you to roll back some of the more important files to ensure that your phone is in good working order. Or if there's a safe mode of some sort that allows you to override or bypass, similar to how Windows uses a safe mode, to bypass kind of the core functions that may be problematic. Android has safe mode. Like Pixels have safe mode because I've had to go into it before. It's just not something that's easy to get into. Yeah, you still have to go into recovery mode, and it's not a fully functioning version of the OS. No, it isn't. To be clear, this is not even so much the January patch as it is the January Play system update, because that's kind of how, if anything, that's actually how your phone gets updated, more even than new features through a security patch. So the ADB commands are to uninstall two apps or to essentially uninstall them, thereby reverting them back to versions that came out of the box, right? And so it's two media-related codec apps, which shouldn't even be causing storage issues on your phone in the first place, and I don't understand how that's happening. But like the fact that this isn't even so much like rolling back a patch as it is like this is a system update pushed through the Play Store for apps like Google needs to figure out a way to like fix this stuff faster. This has been a problem for two weeks now. Basically, they halted this a week ago, over a week ago. They updated this Play System update and only put out these ADB instructions yesterday as we record this. So Thursday, February 1st. I find it frustrating that I will have a good experience with a Pixel, and I can't tell you that you will have a good experience with a Pixel, which, like, I agree with you that in years past, Apple has had to tell people to do stupid things to their phones too, or have broken things in a dumb way in an update. But for the most part, I can tell people that the experience I had on the iPhone 15 Pro Max is the experience they'll have on the iPhone 15 Pro Max, and that's just not the case with Pixel. Whether it's a platform update or security patch or a seamless install of the Play services, it basically speaks to the same thing, right? Once it's installed, it passes a checksum. It goes, you know, it's assumed that it's gone through QA. Wow. It's installed correctly. The files are overwritten, and the previous ones are deleted. In this case, you're not reverting the files; you're deleting the files. That's the temporary solution here. You're uninstalling them and then but but your phone needs those media codecs like you're you're you are going to it is essentially the equivalent of hitting from what I understand it is the equivalent of hitting uninstall updates on a system app in settings as that that can't be uninstalled. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a system level. So there may yes. be backups of these files, but there's no way to force those files from being there's no user there's facing There's no way to keep them from being re-upgraded to the shitty current version apparently well, not, they stopped the update so yeah, they need to work it. on a fixed version so that the solution now is to but you can't you can't go into these media codecs are not going to appear in your system settings the way that like 
I'm trying to think of a of a system, but the you know you could theoretically uninstall updates to the Play Store, right? And it, you'd get an older version of the Play Store until you updated the Play Store again. You can't do that without using ADB commands because these are hidden applications. They're not applications you can just see in Android. It's true. It's funny though because like you look at these steps, you know, you en- enable developer options and uh, USB debugging. You install ADB. You open a terminal. You do ADB devices, you basically allow your computer to communicate to your Android phone through ADB, and then you just type in two commands, ADB uninstall and those two files, you disconnect, you restart, you turn off debugging, that's it, right? Like, to right. somebody who grew up on the XDA forums, and I'm not, I'm not excusing this, but I'm saying yeah. to somebody who grew up on like the XDA forums doing cyanogen mod sure. nightlies this sure. will take you three seconds it would but, except for the fact that i tried it earlier to fix my pixel and the commands didn't work it i i was hooked up i had i had my device in adb i have pushed updates via adb before i know i think i know what i'm doing and none of the uninstall commands would work it would just not let me do it and i'm not totally sure why so like there are definitely issues with doing this anyway i i as far as i know usb drivers are set up on my windows computer and everything and like i said it it connected via like up to the adb uninstall command everything was going fine and then the second i had to use the uninstall command it it stopped working so you know it would this is the problem with adb is that yes in theory it is as simple as pushing a line of code but there are always going to be variables especially considering that you're talking about people who could be using one of three operating systems to do this right I think the reality here, Will, is that you're just not a real hacker. <laughs> you're just not. You're you're just not cut out for it. You know you, what? You don't. You, you know don't what? have the basement. You don't have the glasses. Yep. You smell too good. You're just not a real hacker. <laughs> I uh, I'd like to issue a formal apology to Google uh, for everything I've said in the last ten minutes. They're actually right. <laughs> They're just trying to teach the youth of America uh, how to how to how code, to, how to code. And That's honestly, it. like we need we need more STEM majors in this country. And uh, I'm learning and I'm listening. And I will I will take this moment to uh, to meditate on my mistakes. Google is <laughs> inventing a new way of life hacking. Right? People are going to come out of this more confident yeah. that they can solve very granular Android terminal problems. <laughs> than they were before this. Look how look people are going to feel empowered. They're going to feel like they have solved a software problem. So it's like that part of Fifth Element when the bad guy like pushes all the glasses off the table and they shatter everywhere, and then all of his little automated robots come out and clean it up. He said, "Look at this. You know, without if if I don't cause chaos." What are all these peons going to do? They're, they have a job. Their purpose is to clean up my mess. If I don't create a mess, then who's going to clean it up? It's the same sure. idea. Yeah. Yeah, so actually, thank you. Water. Fruit. You see, Father, by creating a little destruction, a cherry. I'm, in fact, encouraging life. In reality, you and I are in the same business. Cherry. I think we've all come around to this being a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't because I've had to troubleshoot my dad's pixel over this. <laughs> yeah, if you're not in the same room as somebody, it becomes much, much more difficult. Yeah. Can you imagine like remote ADBing through a terminal? Nope. You have to set up like Stop. Windows Remote Share. Love, um, Love this for you. I wonder if you could do this on a Vision Pro. That's even be- better. Beautiful. Open up terminal, no. you, you connect to your Mac, 
you open up terminal on your Mac and you henpeck on that virtual keyboard dot slash ADB <laughs> space You're uninstall. Pinching, pinch dot, pinch slash, yeah. pinch A, <laughs> right. pinch D. Or, or as I think I saw a demo where you just move your eyes to the letter and then you pinch and that's faster. Okay. Uh, that's that's the way talk. to go here, let, folks. Let, let's talk. Have I want to guys... be the first person in history to debug my Pixel using a Vision Pro. If you walk into an Apple store today to buy the Vision Pro and you pull out your Pixel 8 Pro to pay for the Vision Pro using Google Pay, they actually, or excuse me, Google Wallet, uh, they actually turn you away. They don't. They won't sell it to you. There's no credit card in the world that will let you pay using a phone $3,500. Sure, why not? A cool $3,500? Not a chance. You think Chase is like, yeah, no problem. Let's just, you know, rem- let's just right, tap to there, pay there's an for easy, a Vision there's Pro an easy in the Apple Store. Here. Daniel, no send, me send me $3,500. Send me $3,500. And when we're done recording, I will go to the mall where the Apple Store is in Buffalo and I will buy a Vision Pro using your $3,500 and I will do it using mobile payments and we will see how it goes. I have some news for you. Yeah. Apple decided not to allocate a single Vision Pro to Buffalo's Apple stores because they know <laughs> no, that everybody in demos. Buffalo sucks. I can sucks. set up demos on, uh, I can schedule a demo starting Monday or for, for mm-hmm. Monday and beyond. I could go do mm-hmm. a demo of the Vision Pro. I looked this They're morning. actually there to kidnap you and force <laughs> you into their back room. It's, a, it's if you try to go do it, they actually just put you in a truck and you're never seen again. You become a genius. That's it. You, you, you're somehow hired as an Apple genius and you're cleaning dirty MacBooks for the rest of your life. Um, what are your guys' takes on the several Vision Pro reviews that came out this week? Oh, my God. I have so many takes, but I, I want to hear ours first. I also want to hear ours first. Well, I've been kind of heads down this week, so I've only actually read The Verges. But at okay. the same time, it's... I am slightly envious of how all of these reviewers have gotten to test something because ridiculous as it is priced and ridiculous as it looks and ridiculous as it's limited right now, it does look fun for about like six hours before I would get bored of it and go back to using my Chromebook. But the ways that reviewers have found in order to try and make this device anything other than a very expensive toy masquerading as a productivity tool is impressive. I tip my hats to the reviewers and feel bad because I don't think that very many of those reviews are actually going to sell devices. I agree with you on everything, except I don't think Apple really wants to sell devices to anyone but developers and to keep funding, I guess, this project as they work towards what they actually want to make, which is not this. These are certainly the, the most obvious stepping stone Apple has ever launched like this product is very Apple watch first gen in that it is like throwing a bunch of ideas at the wall. The difference is that the Apple watch, like the design is basically the same, right? They had that hardware and what they wanted it to look like and feel like on your wrist. And I don't think the fourth gen vision pro looks anything like this model. Well, let's hope. Oh, I think it does. I don't think they want it to. Let me, let me put it this way. They don't want it to. Like, it might, but they don't want it to. Okay, I don't even know where to start. I have so many thoughts. All right, let's start with what is this thing, right? Yeah, it's so, a VR headset. Fuck you, fuck you, Apple. <laughs> also, fuck you, Google, but fuck you, Apple. It's a VR headset. I don't care about, sp- like, you can call it what you want. I watched several reviews. I read several. It's a VR headset. Okay, yes, it is a VR headset. However, I want to be more specific. 
I'm not disputing that it's a VR headset instead of an AR or spatial computing or whatever the hell you want to call it. It's more about when you put it on your face, what do you do with it, right? Like right. you watch with Avatar the, alone. I think it's very clear. Yeah, you watch Avatar in 3D. That's right. But I think it's very clear that when you put on a Quest 2, you play games or you work out, right? That has been the way from day one, right? Meta keeps trying to tack on these productivity tools. I won't do it. I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. It's just not meant for that. And I think it's very important to establish the intent, the purpose of a product before you buy it, because you're going to want to know, like, I have a Lenovo Legion Go. That's a Windows laptop, basically. There's a stand. I could hook up a Bluetooth mouse and a keyboard to it, and I could just use it like a little baby laptop. You're recording on it right now, right? (laughs) But am I ever going to do that? Unlikely, right? So. I think as form factors have evolved, we have put on them a lot of our cultural expectations for what that thing is. And I think the phone has had the biggest shift from what it was initially designed for to what it is today. The BlackBerry of 1998 is very different from even the iPhone of 2007, very different from the iPhone of 2024. But the Apple Watch, when it debuted, has become a much more narrow and focused product. Software-wise. Software-wise, exactly. And you could say the same thing for smart home devices, right? Like you see fewer products that pretend to do everything. You're not going to necessarily buy a hub that is going to control your whole house because it's really difficult. And like as Google and Amazon have proven, it's much more about like the ecosystem than the product itself that allows you to do that. I think with this, Apple is still not sure that it will be a replacement for your Mac or a replacement for your Quest. Do you do work on this thing? Do you put it on to connect to your Mac or does it eventually replace your Mac? Or is this going to just be something that you wear on the couch instead of playing on your phone? I think they need to pick. But here's the problem is that they try to do this exact same thing for the iPad. The iPad started out as a consumption device for entertainment because that's all it was powerful enough to do. And then eventually, as it got more powerful, Apple tried to evolve it into a laptop replacement only to realize after Johnny Ive left that that was a really bad idea. And then they started pulling back on it a little bit. But now it's still in this weird space where the more expensive pros are like not really entertainment devices, but they're not really work devices. They're kind of nothing and everything. Yeah, and customers responded by not buying iPads in 2023. Yeah. But that's like, not really true because there was no I mean, new yes, iPads. They didn't in put out new iPads, but that does mean that people just didn't buy the ones that were I mean, it dropped 7 billion dollars down I I I believe down to 2 billion dollars yesterday no, is what no, I no. saw. No, it dropped 25%. Is it, th- is it that much? Okay, fine. It was still a 7 it billion. It wasn't like dollars. catastrophic. It's not good. The iPad is a good comparison because you're like it did launch in the state of like look at all the ideas and like where it could go from here but the problem with the iPad as it stands now is that they never picked a lane and so like every time i pick up my iPad i'm like i should just do this faster somewhere like either either i can do this on a phone that's already in my pocket i don't need to go pick up my iPad and oh fuck i didn't charge it like goddamn it like i right, go get the charge cable or whatever or I can do this twice as fast on a real computer with a keyboard and a mouse. And why am I doing this on Adobe's? Like, that's the thing, right? Like, 
uh, my stance on the Vision Pro, and I've, I think I've said this on the pod, is that like I love the idea of it being like a perfect travel companion, like essentially a monitor that I keep in my backpack, right? Like I love that idea, but the issue is that all of that stuff right now is going to have to run off a Mac that is also in my backpack. So you're talking about a minimum of $4,500 package in my backpack and like almost certainly more expensive than that. And then like they've built this new OS for it that feels very much like using an iPad and the apps uh, as limited as they are that are coming to this thing is like, Oh, Adobe like reiterated this morning that Lightroom's coming. Oh, cool. Oh, it's the iPad version of Lightroom. Like it's the not fully featured version of Lightroom that's on my computer. Now it's the iPad one that like, I guess I could use, but it's not really what I'm looking for. And like, that's where this thing is going to end up if they don't pick a lane. And it's not that it can't be both entertainment and workhorse, but like, they need to build it so that people can switch between those things as opposed to just trying to find some middle ground where everything lives together, which is what the iPad is now. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a really confused product. Yeah, you are correct. But there's also VR stuff that Apple just won't admit that it's okay with, but is inherently better. For example, with the iPad, like you have a limited space on a 2D plane. So Apple is very protective of its windowing. You can only move, you can only resize apps, you can only have a certain number of picture-in-picture, picture, et cetera, right? For this, you have a massive field of view. You can move apps around at will, you can resize them, you can place one behind the other, you can have several apps running at the same time. So it feels, even though it's based on iPadOS, much more like, what iPadOS would be if Apple just let loose and let people tinker with it. And I think from my perspective, it's only going to get less constrained over time because Apple is going to realize that people don't want as walled of a garden on this as they do on the iPhone and the iPad and that they're going to have to relent to some extent, right? They can't go backwards. They can't make it more constrained. I think they've already let the cat out of the bag when it comes to what they have, a, sorry for the pun, a vision for what Vision OS is, and it's already closer to the Mac than it is to the iPad. And it's going to be interesting, even though I think Apple did reverse course with the Apple Watch and made it much less app-centric and much more kind of widget-focused and, and focused on like just doing a couple things really well, telling the time in a night with nice watch faces and health and fitness. I don't see that happening here. I think what's going to happen is eventually they're going to get rid of the battery. They have to. It's going to get smaller. The cameras are going to get better. I think the question is, because we've heard time and time again, will Apple get to the point where it's actually augmented reality in the sense that it's not cameras showing you a representation of what your eyes would see, but that it's actually passing light through a glass lens and augmenting that with tiny, very, very high resolution screens that are projecting augmented information about the world in front of you to your eyes. And more importantly, is it ever going to be not stupid to wear in public so that people are not going to gawk at you every time you do it? I mean, I think those things go hand in hand. Like, I think the Vision Pro successor that is true augmented reality which this is not right at best this is mixed reality 
it's not augmented reality i would say is when people will want to wear it in public but right now it is like not only does it look like pretty much any other vr headset on the market i would say right it's got a distinct look i suppose and i would say some of the stuff that sits it apart is like deeply stupid like the eye pass through that looks like I cannot believe that they shipped it, let alone are talking about it and like promoting it as a cool feature. It looks so bad. But the idea of me like wearing this around the house and like having a conversation with my partner wearing this makes me want to die of embarrassment. I don't know if it has to just be thick glasses, but it's got to be pretty close to that. I think it's just like big glasses effectively where I would feel comfortable wearing this in a public setting that isn't a plane i think maybe i would be okay wearing this on a plane right now and that's about it i agree there's an there's an inherent loneliness to this product yeah i will say for the social aspect of it yeah it does need to get lighter the other thing that needs to happen with the vision pro is it needs to be something that can, like your output can also be shared on an exterior device because it's like any gaming on this uh, and being able to like share setups or share whatever you're working on None of that works right now on the Vision Pro. It's just you and your own little bubble. But what made PSVR fun, what makes HTC Vive fun for any like creativity and gaming stuff was that one person could be actually doing the thing and everybody else could gather around and see how badly they were fucking it up. Yeah, you can cast out from the quest like a hundred. You can watch someone play Beat Saber or whatever and see what they're doing on a TV. Like, like you can watch on a TV while they're in the game or whatever. But I don't think you have yeah. to worry too much about that. That will happen. It'll probably happen before they update the hardware. They'll just issue yeah. a software update. They'll allow you to airplay whatever you're seeing to a compatible display. Can I say my overall take on all of the reviews I've read and watched is that like they all seem fairly positive in a way that I do, I just like maybe it is just one of those things you have to use to get it. But like truly, I both read The Verge's very long article and then watched their 30 minute review and came away being like, I do not understand how you come out of this feeling good about it because it is such a scattershot vision of something like a lot of this is already in stuff like the quest to three and i don't other than the fact that like the cameras are better than ever and the hand tracking and the eye tracking is better than ever like i think you can be both impressed that apple is starting from the space and still be like no one should use this and i i that doesn't really seem to be the vibe of these reviews i they're not saying run out and spend thirty five hundred dollars on it but I don't fully understand how this is like, it, it, it truly does feel like a, a better VR headset than what we've seen before, but one that is lacking a lot of software reasons to use it. And then also is genuinely so much more expensive than its competition that it is. I mean, I mean, like we dunked on the quest. I don't know if we dunked on it, but like the internet at large, the tech community at large dunked on the quest pro for being like $1,200 and not having anything to show for it. I don't know. This is, you know, triple that. And I don't, I don't know if it has anything to show for it either beyond some like cool hardware that as Ara kind of said, like, I think you would get burnt out on pretty quickly. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think people who buy it are those who would have bought it regardless of whether it just showed you a fart app in 3d. No one has early adopters like Apple. Like, Truly. 
So the numbers that they're telling 600 native apps, a million iPad apps. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like The, the so. notable exceptions being like Netflix and YouTube, yeah. but there's already a YouTube app created by Christian Selig, who famously- Oh, really? I missed this. That's funny. Yeah, he, he made Apollo for Reddit, which shut down last yeah. year. They, he got in a big fight with, uh, with the CEO of Reddit over the API pricing. So- I don't know. I, I think there will be gaps that are quickly filled because people are just designing this based on iOS and iPadOS apps anyway. So the SDKs are pretty mature. It seems like aside from minor changes to the design, like you want to do everything with frosty glass so that you can kind of see a blurred out translucency behind you when you're floating in, in space. It does appear to be a pretty close design to the iPad. There's that, but yeah, I mean, I saw a clip of Brian Tong who was yes. watching like eight NBA games yeah, at once. He was very excited about it. He was very excited about this. And then I got excited initially and I was like, oh my God, I want to see M- eight NBA games with like stats overlaid. And then I'm yeah. just like, I don't work on Wall Street, right? Like I don't, <laughs> this kind of like type A data ticker across my eyes, Neo from the Matrix kind of thing, I just don't think is sustainable long-term, right? It's great that you can do these things, but I can already watch, if I have NBA League Pass, I can already watch eight games with stat overlays. It's just not in 3D space. And you know you know what, Daniel? You can do it with friends. I can do it with <laughs> friends, exactly. Hear. Your loved ones, the people in your life who matter. Like, that's the funniest thing about it, using, like, sports as an example, is, like, I can't think of anything that is less communal. Like, I've watched plenty of football games alone and had an, a pretty good time, right? But, like, it's much more fun to watch sports with people around you cheering with you. Like, it's so funny of, like, look at all the basketball I can watch by myself quietly in my living room. I just, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I truly, even as, like, the film nerd in me who, like, has enjoyed the previous uh, VR movies I've, I've watched, like, you know what I mean? Like, even on, like, much shittier displays than this, right? I've, I've still been, like, impressed with just the, the size of what a screen can look like in front of you. And it's like, I want to watch Avatar The Way of Water in this. I do, but, like, not for $3,500. And also, you know, actually, this is a bad example because Maddie would 100% not watch Avatar 2 with me. But you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I want to watch Guardians 3 with her. And it's like, well, I'm not going to watch it in my Vision Pro uh, because that's a very lonely way to do this. The only thing I will say to that is go to any subway right now, not the restaurant, the, I was, for, about the mode of transportation. Okay. Yes. I mean, it's probably true of the restaurant too. Look at anybody waiting on a platform or sitting on a chair, right? Everybody's together Everyone's by themselves, right? Go to, yeah. you know, after work, you're on your couch together by yourself, right? On your phone. I think Apple has, is partially responsible for this cultural shift of people being together by themselves. And the Vision Pro is just the next logical step there. I don't think it's a good thing. I agree with you. There is now a physical object separating you from the rest of the world. And regardless of whether the fake eyes on the front convey whether you're making eye contact with the person that you're talking to, they don't know that you're not on the moon, right? I mean, maybe they do because the, your eyes are are not there if you're not on the moon or if you are on the moon. But I think it's it's just interesting that like 
Apple is nodding towards this by saying, we're going to recreate your eyes. We're going to create a physical or a digital avatar for you when you're on a Zoom call. So you look like the creepy train conductor from Polar Express. <laughs> it's just, these are all things that Apple is trying to do. And I think they've acknowledged that this is inherently lonely and, and, and like, this is what technology can do to solve that right now. And in 10 years, when it's just a pair of glasses, it's basically then just the episode of Black Mirror where you can just turn on your memories and there's a slight change in your pupil dilation, but you know that somebody's not paying attention because they're literally not paying attention to you anymore. The, the uh, oh my God, uh, you can, uh, what is it called? The, the mode of video you capture on the iPhone 15 Pro. A spatial um, video. Whatever. Spatial video looks like the filter they have around it uh, where it like blurs the edges around you. Looks yeah. exactly like Tom Cruise watching memories of his dead child in Minority Report. Right. Like to the point where they must have modeled it after that. I don't know how else to describe it. Like it looks identical. And it really creeps me out because that's not a like positive movie. No, it's not. No, it's not. Mm. Also, since you mentioned them real quick, I just want to say personas, the 3D avatar of yourself, they look so fucking bad. And I refuse to let anyone be like, but they're technically impressive and they're in beta. And so they'll get better. Like if Google shipped no. this, everyone mm. would be dunking on it. Like, these look terrible. I don't know. I I kind of I kind of enjoy them. See how Joanna Stern looks like her I hair. Did. I saw she looks all like of the, the examples. The, the, the shitty meme. The shitty Mona Lisa I get it. meme. Like she does. I do. I I totally understand it. It it's it's bad objectively. You're right. <laughs> but I think it's technically the, impressive, and it's only going to get better. because no, it's, it's in beta. <laughs> it's not. It's just like you know how. I guess because Meta made such a big deal about people having legs in the metaverse and like sure. every time they added a toe to a digital avatar, they would send out a press release asking us to write about the new toe. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just like Apple shipped this thing and I feel like it's just not a big deal. It's just there, right? Sure. If you want to be present, if you want your screen to, your quote screen to be on during a Zoom call, like you can do it. It's kind of yeah. dumb, but it's not that yeah. dissimilar to overlaying a dog on top of your FaceTime image, which like <laughs> Apple did this a decade ago, right? Yeah. I've spoken to my cousins who love it or my, even my daughter, like she loves it when I become a dog on FaceTime when I'm traveling. Like, I don't think it's that dissimilar. It's just that Apple has made it easier for you to be present during work or social situations in digital space and if you don't overthink it and you're just like this kind of looks like joanna stern but not really and you get over that uncanny valley aspect to it it's like would i rather her be talking to me over zoom than having her camera off this is inside baseball but like we've talked about turning on our cameras for this show and putting it on youtube so many times and i think the best podcast, not that I don't love podcasting with you, but like some of the best podcasts I've ever had are those where you can see the other person because the body language is important. And I don't think Personas is going to stay where it is right now. It's going to get better. And I think it's only a couple of years before there's a normalization of digital avatars. Not if we fight it. Not if you personally fight it. <laughs> not if I personally stop it. You're going to be a anti-digital <laughs> avatar That's activist. Right. You're going to go to... Washington and have to stand in front of 
Tom Cotton and he's going to dress you down and say, how dare you? This is the American way. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I don't think it's a big deal. I think it's cute. I think it's interesting that Apple did this. I think it's just one of those things that is going to be a checkbox on a feature list that nobody's really going to think twice about. And yet if Facebook or if Meta shipped this three years ago, they would make way more big a deal out of it. So that's what I think about it. But I agree it's not great in its current form. But I also agree that like when the iPhone 7 Plus shipped with portrait mode, have you ever seen a portrait photo taken with the iPhone 7 Plus? No, no one. Everyone did it once, said ew, and stopped using it. It like literally murdered people. It, yeah. it was just like <laughs> your heads would get cut off. There would be no detail in your hair. It was just a bad move all around. It took until like the iPhone 10 for the portrait mode to actually get good, but Apple didn't really talk about it anymore after that. So I think going to a macro level, like this is exactly what's going to happen with the Vision Pro. It's going to get dot updates throughout the year. It's going to get big Vision OS 2 updates. And then in a couple of years, there's going to be a big hardware refresh. I guarantee you the battery is going to disappear. They have to. They, they have to. They have they to. They have to. Like, I can't imagine them shipping a second version of this with an add-on battery again. Like it just makes no sense. It's it's an acceptable level of user degradation that Apple is willing to put up with in order to keep the size of the hardware down on your face. I don't know. I don't I, I, yeah, I I don't know if I have anything else to say because I haven't used it. We're just talking about a a product that there are lots of details about but that none of us have used and I don't know if Apple gets it yet. I don't know if the issue I'm having is that there is nothing to get yet because Apple is still looking for and maybe internally knows exactly what they want this to be. But, it, you know, as we've talked about, this is a product that is certainly like trying to feel the environment out and like figure out the direction it's going to go in. Very similar to the first gen Apple watch. Like it's a good chance that I, I don't know which feature specifically, but we will look at one of the features on this the way that uh uh, you could send digital heartbeats on the first gen Apple Watch, right? I'm not yeah, yeah. This up. Yeah, I forget what it's called. Is that still there? It might. It might no, actually. Be, I, I was gonna say. It's I think it's not gone there anymore. Well, think of it that way. Where it's like in 20 years, I'll be like, the first gen Vision Pro have a digital persona avatar. Did you guys remember this? I don't. It looked like a. It looked like a PS3. Like mm. I don't know. Oh, oh, you know, or like the blurry eye see through thing, right? Like something like that. So. It's a $3,500 dev kit, as far as I can tell, and I'm excited to see where it is in 10 years, I guess, but that's what this is. I also think it's interesting, like, we haven't really spoken about the VR-ness of this at all, right? Like, yes, you can pretend to work on this thing, but, like, Apple's not encouraging you to work out in this at all. In fact, I would say it's probably going to discourage you from marring the beautiful strap with your disgusting (laughs) sweat yeah your disgusting body fluids and i'm sure that there will be an ecosystem to support that down the road but this is very much right now like you're standing in place or you're sitting to experience what this is i'm surprised that apple is not hinting at what this could become right because fitness is all over apple's dna right everything it talks about these days is about health and fitness yeah i maintain fitness plus might be apple's best service it could be yeah i I could argue that i I really like fitness plus so if you're somebody who like subscribes to apple one premiere and you get music and tv and 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 fitness and health and all that stuff thrown in that's the one big piece that's missing here 
is that the gaming situation does not feel native. You know, you can obviously play games on here with a controller and it might be cool, but there's no VR games for the Vision Pro yet. Asgard's Wrath 2 for the Quest 3 got 10 out of 10 at IGN. Like they called it a modern classic akin to what, uh, like a Zelda game or, or Baldur's Gate 3, right? Like they gave the first VR game ever a 10. And I watched this video and I'm like, I don't understand why you'd want to play this. And then I downloaded it it and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It's super fun. Even on the Quest 2, I don't have a Quest 3. So I'm like, Apple obviously has never really got gaming. That is just a whole separate thing. And we didn't talk about the changes to the DMA and, and how Apple's going to fit in game streaming on its, on its apps. Like we didn't talk about that at all yet, but like, that's a big deal. The fact that you'll be able to have a single app for Game Pass, for instance, and not every app will need to be approved separately. Great. I think that's really good. But wouldn't that be incredible for the Vision Pro? Yeah. I mean, the joke has been like, this is an incredible TV that doesn't have any HDMI input. And like, that's true. But like, the real truth is that, man, I just want to play like my PlayStation 5 on this, right? Like, that, that's that's what really keeps me from buying it as a television. Like, there is a case to be made that I, I could just buy this as a TV and have a really good time with it, if not for the fact that like, I don't just want to watch like Disney plus originals. I would like to do other stuff with it. And, and it's, it's lacking in that way. And like, again, maybe in a few years, maybe even in a year, this is taken care of and you can stream whatever you want to it. And actually it rules to just like lay on the couch with this thing on and game and not have to worry about a TV taking up space in your living room, uh, at least for gaming. But um, it's not there right now. I mean, is, is it not realistic to think that the killer app here could be, ps5 remote play or xbox game stream no i think it is yeah a hundred percent like as it exists in its current state like the thing i think people are going to do with this the most is watch things or or once it's there play things and it's an m series chip right if playstation wanted to do the right thing it would port some of its ps5 vr games over to there but it's not going to do that or if companies that are distributing games on the quest wanted to do the right thing they would port them to Vision OS. I don't know if Apple has been courting them behind the scenes and we just haven't heard anything, but I'm surprised. Obviously, like the input problem exists. The fact that like you're using eyes and fingers to do all of your movement and selection, that's a problem. And there are no native Vision OS controllers the way that there are on the Quest. But somebody's going to solve that 100%. Right, Logitech in a year is going to come out with like a gaming controller for this or something, a razor. <laughs> the lack of controllers is an obvious problem, like like in terms of motion controllers, right? Like the ability to like press a button while also using your hands, which is what you can do with the Quest, right? Like I'm not talking about like a PS5 controller. Why did they not get Beat Saber on this? As like my real big question on the gaming front, because like you don't need the controllers necessarily. You're not pushing buttons in beat saber you're just like you're holding two swords and you're slashing things and like you could easily just replicate that with your hands you don't need the controllers if it's tracking your hands that seems to be like an obvious if they had just got up on stage and be like don't worry i mean i mean they basically did it with with fruit ninja 2 or whatever right but like beat saber is a much better game and a a much more active game and i don't know daniel maybe that goes back to what you were saying about like do they not want people moving in this thing 
Mm. Yeah, I, th- I just don't think they want people sweating in their $3,500 headset yet. Well, and, and it's got a big fucking cord that goes to your pocket. Like, what happens if you yank that fat lightning cable out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, lots more to talk about here. I, I don't I don't think we're finished talking about the Vision Vision Pro, no. but uh, sorry, the Apple. Sorry, <clears throat> we're not talk, finished talking about Apple Vision Pro. But uh, any closing thoughts, Ara, on, on this? I'm going to think it's a toy until I get to try it. But honestly, the thing that I would want most uh, out of the Vision Pro, if I ever get to use one, is just some 3D background of that's like uh, either somewhere at Walt Disney World, which is weird because I'm 20 minutes away, or like some like exotic Disney location to just be my backdrop and just okay, I can have my work on one side, I can have my distractions on another side, and then behind me I have the things that I really shouldn't look at until it's after work hours. It looks like a fun toy, but until we have better accessories, until we have better controls, I don't see this being more than a toy for people who have too much money. Yeah, that's the way it always is. But in a year or two, maybe not. Here's my pitch. Because the other thing we didn't talk about with this is that every reviewer says it's heavy you really start to feel it after like 30 minutes to an hour. But it seems like a great way to get work done. Yeah, like Ara saying, like my dream of like using it in a hotel room to have a big monitor as opposed to just a little laptop, right? So what I'm saying is you get a stand that you put on a desk that you like put up to the Vision Pro, right? The Apple Vision Pro. And uh, you kind of lean forward into it. And then also just to like keep things easy on the eyes, you make it all red and black. So everything you're looking at is red and black. And then maybe you put like a Wario game on it. I just invented the virtual boy. Yes, you did. You should feel proud of yourself. I am. Good boy. Here's a cookie. (laughs) Jules is going to cut that. He's going to listen to it and be like, Will, this wasn't funny. And I agree. You can cut it. Good boy. Here's a cookie. Wow. Uh, What what you really need is, is uh, is the glove. That's, that's, that's true. What <laughs> that's that's what you're missing nice. out. You're missing out on the glove. That's true. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap this up. So, just a quick shout out uh, to something that I wrote for the site this week. Yeah. Uh, I don't write much anymore, but I had a chance to interview Sam Bright, who's the VP and GM of the Play Store, uh, late last year, and uh, put together an interview slash article talking to developers uh, and Sam himself about the state of the Play Store. Basically asking him and developers designing, selling apps for the Play Store, like how they're feeling right now, especially given the results of the lawsuit against Google, which settled for $700 million and will force the company to implement a number of changes in the US around how they allow third-party app stores to work, uh, limiting what they can charge people for those third-party app stores, just a bunch of improvements, I would say, to the user experience around app downloads and distribution, as well as we're waiting for the results of the Epic v. Google trial, uh, which I I think we're going to hear more about in the next few weeks, what those results will look like. So the Play Store in 2024 will obviously be a very different place than it was last year. And I think Google was trying to get ahead of the message and talking to me and saying like, look, we understand people have choices. They will soon have many more choices on where to distribute their apps. We really want Google, the Play Store, to be where they want to go, not where they have to go. And here are all the things that we're going to do, right? So they're making a lot of the monetization tools more granular. They're using generative AI to help 
with uh, better translations for localization and better monetization internationally. They are doing a whole bunch around like A-B testing. They are allowing game developers to promote updates. Uh, so if, they, if you have like a big update, you'll be able to get a banner on the front of the homepage, et cetera. But I didn't really get good answers about why the Play Store feels so dead when you open it, why it feels the same every time you open it. The fact that you can open Google Discover and you see a different set of articles every time, or you open Google Search and you get dynamic results, you open YouTube, you get a very, very bespoke timeline, right? Every other Google app feels like it's much more catered to you. And why does the Play Store, which does have a lot of information about you, it has all the apps you've ever downloaded. Why doesn't it feel more personalized? Why doesn't it show you indie apps that you may want? Why doesn't it have better editorial curation? Why does it feel like every single editor's choice app is like 12 years old? I asked him all these questions. I didn't get great responses for a lot of them, but I hope you do read it. We'll put it in the show notes. I think it was an interesting call. Google is very much aware of what it has to do to improve the Play Store. I also asked about why there's still this reputation of Android apps being worse than their iOS counterparts. I got a very weird answer in that he said, well, it's not just our fault. Developers are responsible for making their apps as good as they can too. And that Google shares the responsibility because we provide the developer tools and the distribution, but developers, we feel we being Google, have provided tools that are as good as those on iOS. I heard from some developers that they agree some developers disagree vehemently and feel like Google's way behind Apple in terms of the App Store tools, the languages themselves, and monetization opportunities. But I also just think that Android will never have the upside for monetization as iOS because of the install base being much more Western. They've been taught that they have to spend money, even though Google has offered subscriptions and things like that to offset the free with ads kind of proliferation of the last decade, we know that developers don't make as much money from the Play Store. So all of this is in the article. Hope you go read it, enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of interesting things happening with app stores in 2024. Apple obviously allowing developers to launch their own third-party marketplaces in the EU. They're making it very difficult and expensive and in fact, prohibitively expensive to the point where even Meta refuses to launch a marketplace for whatever it's doing in the EU. Like if Zuckerberg says there's no upside for us, then Apple's really not doing this properly. But yeah, I think there's more that we can discuss in future weeks on this once the DMA comes into effect in March. And I think Will um, and Anara will, will definitely discuss this. So yeah, that's, that's just my little end of the show spiel. I like it. Me too. I'm glad it's out. It took me two and a half months to write it. So uh, <laughs> feels feels like I, I birthed a little article baby but uh that's what happens all right that's it that's the show hope you two have a wonderful weekend yeah and what's up next week i don't even know are you allowed to say yeah i think we accidentally people said that we were going to talk about the 12 hour uh this week and then it's monday the embargo's monday i'm gonna go finish the review the 12 hour review so we'll talk about the oh, that's right 12 hour uh next week uh it's a it's it's i can't say anything about it now so you'll have to nope. tune in to yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I can say, like, it gets announced. Like, it's a $500 phone with a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, and that's interesting. Is it mm -hmm. any good? Tell you next week. Yeah. And by the time you read this, Ara's review for the S24 will be up on the site, so go read that as well. 
Uh, Taylor reviewed the S24 Plus, and Will also reviewed the S24 Ultra last week as well. So lots to read on the site. Check it out, androidpolice.com. Send us some feedback, podcast at androidpolice.com. We love hearing from you. And until next week, we will talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.